This is the Bible in one year, day 251, winning the spiritual battle. The tragic image is unforgettable. Like so many people, I wept as I saw the picture of three-year-old Alan Curdy's little body washed up on the shoreline in Turkey. He had drowned together with his brother and mother as his family fled the war in Syria. One of the biggest causes of the current European refugee crisis is warfare. Over 500,000 people have been killed in the civil war in Syria in recent years. In Iraq, ISIS have murdered thousands of innocent people, many of them Christians, and displaced tens of thousands of people, again, many of them Christians. Appalling terrorist attacks around the world now occur with alarming regularity. These atrocities are extreme and horrific instances of a violence that has always taken place at every level of society. Brother, fight brother. Neighbor, fight neighbor. City, fight city. Kingdom, fight kingdom. Anarchy and chaos and killing. Virtually every day in the media, we see the horrors of warfare. We live in a world that is constantly developing even more terrible weapons of physical warfare. These weapons have the power to maim, kill and destroy. But this warfare is not purely physical. The issues that give rise to it, as many in both politics and the media acknowledge, are profoundly moral and spiritual. Just as physical warfare is a serious global issue, so according to the Apostle Paul, is spiritual warfare. This is unseen, but it's just as real. The great Welsh preacher Dr Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, There is no grosser or greater misrepresentation of the Christian message than that which depicts it as an offering of a life of ease with no battle and struggle at all. Sooner or later, every believer discovers that the Christian life is a battleground, not a playground. In this battle, you are called not to be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. You are given the weapons with which to win the battle. Paul writes, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. What are these weapons? How do you use them? From Psalm 106. In the camp they grew envious of Moses and of Aaron, who was consecrated to the Lord. The earth opened up and swallowed Dathan. It buried the company of Abiram. Fire blazed among their followers. A flame consumed the wicked. At Horeb they made a calf and worshipped an idol cast from metal. They exchanged their glorious God for an image of a bull which eats grass. They forgot the God who saved them who had done great things in Egypt, miracles in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. So he said he would destroy them. Had not Moses his chosen one stood in the breach before him to keep his wrath from destroying them? Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his promise. They grumbled in their tents and did not obey the Lord. So he swore to them with uplifted hand that he would make them fall in the wilderness, make their descendants fall among the nations, 
and scatter them throughout the lands. They yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor, and ate sacrifices offered to lifeless gods. They aroused the Lord's anger by their wicked deeds, and a plague broke out among them. But Phineas stood up and intervened, and the plague was checked. This was credited to him as righteousness for endless generations to come. The Weapon of Prayer The psalmist recalls the leadership and ministry of Moses. Some became jealous about God's powerful use of Moses and Aaron. In the camp, they grew envious of Moses and Aaron. Moses' response was not to protect himself, rather it was to pray for them. He stood in the breach before God and interceded for them. In the account of Exodus 32, we see how by the power of prayer, it is possible to change the course of history. Phinehas was another who intervened on behalf of the people. His intervention must have stemmed from his faith. We're told here that as with Abraham, it was credited to him as righteousness. The powerful weapon of prayer is available to you. Pray for your family, friends, and all those who the Spirit inspires you to pray for. Stand in the breach and intercede on behalf of others. As Jeremy Jennings says at the end of every prayer meeting at HDB, thank you for praying. You have made a difference. Lord, thank you for the power of intercessory prayer. Today, I want to stand in the breach and intercede for. New Testament from 2 Corinthians 10. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. You are judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive, and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent we will be in our actions when we are present. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. 
We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand, so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory, but let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. The Weapon of the Gospel Your mind is a battlefield. Your thoughts are at the root of your words and actions. The devil seeks to set up strongholds in your mind. Paul knew that at the heart of the spiritual battle is the battle for the mind. There's a sense in which each of us is involved in an individual spiritual battle in our own mind. This is a daily battle to resist the temptation of wrong thoughts and take captive every thought to obey Christ. Although Paul alludes to the individual battle of the mind here, he was primarily thinking of something a little different. There was a cultural battle going on, a battle of ideas, philosophies and worldviews. Paul actively engaged in this battle to take on those competing ideas, philosophies and worldviews, to take them captive in obedience to Christ. Paul wrote, The world is unprincipled. It's dog-eat-dog out there. The world doesn't fight fair. But we don't live or fight our battles that way. Never have and never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they are for demolishing that entire massively corrupt culture. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. The weapons Paul uses have divine power to demolish strongholds. His power comes from belonging to Christ and he's been given authority by the Lord himself. I find it encouraging that some people said to Paul, in person, he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. However, he points out, in all this comparing and grading and competing, they quite miss the point. Comparison is corrosive. It either puffs you up to pride or drives you down to despair. Don't compare yourself with other Christians, your gifts with their gifts, your success with their success. We're all on the same side. We should be trying to help, love and encourage one another as we fight the spiritual battle together. Thankfully, you do not have to appear impressive, nor do you have to be an exceptional communicator to preach the gospel. Paul's power came from the gospel of Christ. His desire was to preach the gospel to people who had never heard it. Ultimately, it is the message of Christ that will change your culture. It is the most powerful message in the world. It's life-changing. It is culture-changing. It is world-changing. Every time you tell a friend about Jesus, invite them to church or bring them along to Alpha, for example, you are engaging in the spiritual battle 
with the powerful weapon of the gospel. Lord, help me to take every thought captive to obey you and give me the courage to use the powerful weapon of the gospel to destroy strongholds. Old Testament from Isaiah 17 to 19 A prophecy against Damascus See, Damascus will no longer be a city, but will become a heap of ruins. The cities of Aroa will be deserted and left to flocks which will lie down with no one to make them afraid. The fortified city will disappear from Ephraim and royal power from Damascus. The remnant of Aram will be like the glory of the Israelites, declares the Lord Almighty. In that day the glory of Jacob will fade, the fat of his body will waste away. It will be as when reapers harvest the standing corn, gathering the corn in their arms, as when someone gleans ears of corn in the valley of Rephaim. Yet some gleanings will remain, as when an olive tree is beaten, leaving two or three olives on the topmost branches, four or five on the fruitful boughs, declares the Lord, the God of Israel. In that day, people will look to their Maker and turn their eyes to the Holy One of Israel. They will not look to the altars, the work of their hands, and they will have no regard for the Asherah poles and the incense altars their fingers have made. In that day, their strong cities, which they left because of the Israelites, will be like places abandoned to thickets and undergrowth, and all will be desolation. You have forgotten God your Saviour. You have not remembered the rock your fortress. Therefore, though you set out the finest plants and plant imported vines, though on the day you set them out you make them grow, and on the morning when you plant them you bring them to bud, yet the harvest will be as nothing in the day of disease and incurable pain. Woe to the many nations that rage. They rage like the raging sea. Woe to the peoples who roar. They roar like the roaring of great waters. Although the peoples roar like the roar of surging waters, when he rebukes them they flee far away. Driven before the wind like chaff on the hills, like tumbleweed before a gale. In the evening, sudden terror. Before the morning, they are gone. This is the portion of those who loot us, the lot of those who plunder us. Isaiah chapter 18 A prophecy against Cush. Woe to the land of whirring wings! along the rivers of Cush, which sends envoys by sea in papyrus boats over the water. Go, swift messengers, to a people tall and smooth-skinned, to a people feared far and wide, an aggressive nation of strange speech whose land is divided by rivers. All you people of the world, you who live on the earth, when a banner is raised on the mountains, you will see it and when a trumpet sounds, you will hear it. This is what the Lord says to me. I will remain quiet and will look on from my dwelling place, like shimmering heat in the sunshine, like a cloud of dew in the heat of harvest. For before the harvest, 
when the blossom is gone and the flower becomes a ripening grape, he will cut off the shoots with pruning knives and cut down and take away the spreading branches. They will all be left to the mountain birds of prey and to the wild animals. The birds will feed on them all summer, the wild animals all winter. At that time, gifts will be brought to the Lord Almighty from a people tall and smooth-skinned, from a people feared far and wide, an aggressive nation of strange speech whose land is divided by rivers. The gifts will be brought to Mount Zion, the place of the name of the Lord Almighty. Isaiah chapter 19 A prophecy against Egypt See the Lord rides on a swift cloud and is coming to Egypt. The idols of Egypt tremble before him, and the hearts of the Egyptians melt with fear. I will stir up Egyptian against Egyptian. Brother will fight against brother, neighbor against neighbor, city against city, kingdom against kingdom. The Egyptians will lose heart, and I will bring their plans to nothing. They will consult the idols and the spirits of the dead, the mediums and the spiritists. I will hand the Egyptians over to the power of a cruel master, and a fierce king will rule over them. Declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. The waters of the river will dry up, and the riverbed will be parched and dry. The canals will stink. The streams of Egypt will dwindle and dry up. The reeds and rushes will wither. Also the plants along the Nile at the mouth of the river. Every sown field along the Nile will become parched, will blow away and be no more. The fishermen will groan and lament, all who cast hooks into the Nile. Those who throw nets on the water will pine away. Those who work with combed flax will despair. The weavers of fine linen will lose hope. The workers in cloth will be dejected, and all the wage earners will be sick at heart. The officials of Zoan are nothing but fools. The wise counsellors of Pharaoh give senseless advice. How can you say to Pharaoh, I am one of the wise men, a disciple of the ancient kings? Where are your wise men now? Let them show you and make known what the Lord Almighty has planned against Egypt. The officials of Zoan have become fools. The leaders of Memphis are deceived. The cornerstones of her peoples have led Egypt astray. The Lord has poured into them a spirit of dizziness. They make Egypt stagger in all that she does, as a drunkard staggers around in his vomit. There is nothing Egypt can do, head or tail, palm branch or reed. In that day, the Egyptians will become weaklings. They will shudder with fear at the uplifted hand that the Lord Almighty raises against them. And the land of Judah will bring terror to the Egyptians. Everyone to whom Judah is mentioned will be terrified because of what the Lord Almighty is planning against them. In that day, five cities in Egypt will speak the language of Canaan and swear allegiance to the Lord Almighty. One of them will be called the City of the Sun. In that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt and a monument to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and witness to the Lord Almighty in the land of Egypt. 
When they cry out to the Lord because of their oppressors, he will send them a savior and defender, and he will rescue them. So the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians, and in that day they will acknowledge the Lord. They will worship with sacrifices and grain offerings. They will make vows to the Lord and keep them. The Lord will strike Egypt with a plague. He will strike them and heal them. They will turn to the Lord and he will respond to their pleas and heal them. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Assyrians will go to Egypt and the Egyptians to Assyria. The Egyptians and Assyrians will worship together. In that day, Israel will be the third, along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing on the earth. The Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. The Weapon of Unity Each year at our leadership conference at the Royal Albert Hall in London, we've had the privilege of welcoming thousands of Christian leaders from all around the world. There's something very powerful about leaders from numerous countries coming together in worship and unity of purpose. The prophet Isaiah foresees this kind of unity. He continues to prophesy against those who have forgotten God, your Saviour. He declares God's judgment against Damascus, Cush and Egypt. However, our passage today ends with a note of hope. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt. It will be a sign and witness to the Lord Almighty in the land of Egypt. When they cry out to the Lord because of their oppressors, he will send them a saviour and defender, and he will rescue them. So the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians, and in that day they will acknowledge the Lord. They will turn to the Lord, and he will respond to their pleas and heal them. He goes on to say that the Egyptians and Assyrians, modern-day Iraqis, will worship together. No longer rivals, they will worship together. Egyptians and Assyrians. The conversion of the Gentiles seems to have been foreseen by Isaiah. He sees a time when others besides the people of Israel will turn to the Lord. He will hear their prayers and heal them. People of different nations will worship the Lord together. This unity will bring great blessing. He foresees a time when the Lord's people from Egypt, Iraq and Israel come together for worship. Surely we see one way in which this prophecy is fulfilled when Christians from these nations and others come together in worship. However, we can also pray for and look forward to the day when the prophecy will be completely fulfilled, when a multitude from every nation, tribe, people and language will worship together before the throne of God. Lord, thank you for the power of the weapons you have given us for the spiritual battle. As we unite, pray and proclaim the gospel, may we see your victory in our lives and in our society. In Jesus' name. Pepper adds, In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, it says, I, Paul, am timid when face to face with you, but bold when I'm away. I can relate to that. It's very encouraging that Paul felt intimidated when having to face the Corinthian church. Talking face-to-face -face with somebody in a difficult situation is usually the best thing to do. 
but also a well-written constructive letter can be very helpful. The one thing that's not a good thing to do is sending off cross emails. That can be very dangerous. <laughs>